Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Sinead Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher, and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. So my first question for this week is talk to me about the yoga tradition from your unique perspective as a quadrilingual Greek, Finnish, first-generation American, psychedelic-using, longtime tantric practitioner. Wow. (laughs) Talk about a psychedelic question. (laughs) And I I have to say I love, um, you know, the word... Greek is a really rich language. And I thought it was just my dad being a linguist. We would make up words all the time, even in English. Like language is pretty flexible and elastic. Yeah. Um, But then I learned that all Greeks do that. And when we look at these um, kind of root languages, like Samskrita, um, even Hawaiian, um, in Hawaiian, they call it kauna. And kauna means that something has multi, multi layers. So in um, in the yoga tradition, it's called shruti. And shruti means that, well, it has a lot of layers to it. So it means there's the sound. And I remember buying a shruti box, which is like an electric tambura, the drone for chanting. And I asked the young woman, I said, well, what does Shruti mean? And she said, well, it means sound. And when you go out of Western traditions, you learn to ask the question many times because you're going to get deeper layers, right? Um, You start to kind of pull in the subtlety. And so I asked her and I said, well, 
does it mean anything else? And she said, it means tone. And then I said, well, that's interesting. And so what do you mean by tone? And she said, vibration. And I just kept like very gently, I mean, you have to romance, you can't be there banging on the door, but really with an open heart, be curious and say, hey, you know, like I'm available for more. And she said, it means the deeper meaning. So even the word psychedelic, from my understanding, it comes from the Greek psychedelia. And telia is a word that is still used in modern Greek. It means like awesome, like the most excellent or the maha. And psyche, of course, is the, re the root of psyche. And so psyche is the breath, the spirit, the soul, and it's symbolized as the butterfly, which is this metamorphic journey. Of course, we start as this kind of a larvae. We come into this world as a larva, and then we have to be cocooned and go on this inward journey. And then when we come out, we get to spread our wings and see what kind of birds we are. So really to me that, um, very much encapsulates the yoga tradition. And so we come, you know, we, we, um, we ask to be taught. Traditionally, the teacher would accept the student. The teacher chose the student. So a student might come and demonstrate their interest, their commitment, and there's wonderful, wonderful um, lore about the the arduous testing prop, um, process that teachers gave their students like Mila Repa. Oh, that's a great one. And they had to prove that they were committed, that there, it wasn't just a fleeting interest, et cetera. So the teacher would then accept the student and there was often, um, you know, there were parameters. So that's the sense of like the cocoon. It's like, you know, you're gonna commit to this. You're going to be doing this. I know my teacher's teacher, Krishnamacharya, when he found Sri um, Rama Mohan Brahmacharya and he trekked 21 miles. No, I'm sorry. I think it was 211 miles into the Himalayas and found him. He was living in a cave with the stories relay that it was, he had something like 13 children and he was just living there up, you know, in the high Himalayas. And Krishnamacharya said, I've come to learn with you. And Krishna and uh, Rama Mohan Brahmacharya, he said, well, I'm not taking students. And so Krishnamacharya sat down outside of his cave and he said, that's all right. You know, I'm patient. I'll wait till you are. And he waited all day and waited all night. And I guess, you know, there was a bit of a contrition. Maybe it was, um, let's just call him Rama Mohan. His wife came out, offered a chapati, and he said, no, no, I'm not hungry. I'm just hungry for the teachings and sat there for three days. And finally, um, Rama Mohan Brahmacharya he said, all right, I'll take you on as a student, but you have to commit to stay as long as I 
deem necessary. There's no, I have, a, I have an Indian friend, Newton, and um, she calls, you know, drop-in students, dropouts. And I'm not sure if it's an error or not, but it's really great. This sense of like, you know, like in Greek, it's mezes or poo-poo. Like, I'm going to try a little bit of this. I'm going to try a little bit of that. But there's a commitment to really learning and growing. And certainly there's repetition um, involved, but we go to deeper and deeper layers. So that's that's really the the mentor tradition is that it becomes like a family member. So there's real love, there's real care, there's an investment of your time, of your energy, and a great yogi. Um, <clears throat> oh, why can't I think of his name right now? Oh, George Harrison. He said that the way that we demonstrate our love is how we share our time. So we take that time and there's so much more than just executing practices. It's about our psyche and our psyche includes our body. It includes our mind. It includes our emotions. And it's the relationship of our inner world to the outer world. So yoga is that relationship. Um, and it's interesting too, because I know in the, um, you know, in the ancient Greek tradition, and there was a great diaspora between Greece and India during the time, you know, during that golden era, there was this grand exchange of insights. Um, the mentor tradition was very strong and it continues to this day where even outside of a traditional schooling situation, a child will have a tutor, but it's more than a tutor. Again, there's real love, there's care. It's, it's kind of an extended family. So that's really um, where I feel like I've just been so blessed because I've really had long-term relationships with my teachers. There was a real investment and there was a real care. Yeah, I hope that, you know, that was a big question. So I tried to touch upon it. That was great. And um, two things come to mind is right now we're, we're in this participation award generation. Have you heard of this? No, but I get a sense of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get the sense. It's like there's, you know, in, in many of the school systems, you know, you get an A for effort and it's, it's, you know, the, the mood, the sentiment of it is, is really great on one hand because it's trying to be inclusive. And on the other hand, it's, it's um, in my sense of things, it's really watering down the striving that many young people have to, to win or to achieve or to, you know, do their very best. And that's what I'm getting. You know, it's like, like these were real people <laughs> walking 200 miles uphill in the snow, both ways. Like this was the real deal. And so I'm wondering, maybe you have a thought on that. And then coupled with is, is the age of the guru dead? Is the age of a real masters, you know, where, where are they? <laughs> Wow. Um, 
You know, it's interesting from my understanding, uh, before karate came to the West, there was no belt system. And, you know, so that was something that was uh, amended because it worked with the psychology of Westerners. So, you know, I like to think of the, the hemispheres of the world. And, and this is actually, it's kind of like the non-binary consciousness that is happening. And this is an evolution of our species where men have very nurturing and feminine aspects and women have, you know, more tenacious, outward, um, you know, effective. There, there's like a shift. It's almost like a shift on the axis where we go from patriarch to matriarch. So I don't really have a problem with that. I, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, my son sometimes wants to wear my dress or that there's, that there's not even role reversals, but there's more elasticity in that. So I don't know, um, you know, if I need to necessarily compare them I guess in, as I'm as I'm becoming more seasoned, I can just see that everything's kind of shifting and changing. And from what I understand, what's been relayed to me in quantum physics, that everything is changing, and the more it changes, it becomes itself. So, you know, whatever carrot or enticement, people have their own timing. So perhaps, you know, if that's what works with the Western psychology, eventually they're going to get there. Uh, as much as, you know, we don't want to do that, we want to have people just feel the reward of investing themselves. And as Patanjali says in the sutras, right? Tibra samveganam asanaha. If you're deeply interested, you're already successful. Because that level of engagement and inspiration and enthusiasm, what more could you want? What more could you want? So whatever kind of works for people, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know in that way. As far as the age of the guru, whew, you know, I think it's that guru is a really big blanket term. And so in my book, I... I kind of show, and I think it's from the Kula Arnava Tantra text, if I'm if I'm recalling correctly. There's all different kinds of gurus. So there's the one who you meet at the at the gym, who turns you on, right? Then there's the one who's more skilled in understanding the nuances of the practices. Then there's one who understands the deeper teachings. And so we're going to kind of graduate in different ways. Um, and then there's the one who just by being in their presence, there's a shift in your vibrational field because we're sympathetic beings. So I do believe that um, I remember a friend saying, oh, you live on Kauai? everybody's a guru there. And they said it with great innocence, but it's kind of true. It's like, you know, now when we can read a book or we can, you know, listen to a podcast or do a weekend workshop and become a shaman, um, you know, there, maybe the standards are shifting, 
But as they say, the cream floats to the top. I think it's challenging to find someone who is of such a high caliber, you know, who's basically like a living saint, but they're out there. They're probably pretty hidden. Maybe it's the age of the student that's kind of ending. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I remember talking to my friend, um, it was a really skilled, skilled practitioner, Johnny Smith. We used to travel a lot to Mysore. He was my buddy. And Patabi Choice, he used to call us Johnny Bawani. And his, you know, so many people wanted him to teach. And for a long, long time, he was like, the last thing we need is more yoga teachers. We need more yoga students. So yeah, that's my that's my response. My roundabout espouse, my sutra-like kind of a thing. I really don't know. Um, But this, it's a very, very slippery slope to want to be a guru. Guru means heavy and it means big. It's the planet Jupiter. And where we think the earth is um, held in um, in the sun's magnetic field, it's actually Jupiter that's holding it all. So to be big enough to be able to hold it all, and also to be a guru, you have to have been a student. So how many people have truly been a student? And those who are students, they don't want to give up being a student. So yeah, it's, um, and being a guru also, it means that you're caring your students because you care about them. So I don't know, it's something that I would wish on anybody. I certainly don't wish it for myself. It's really um, just being curious and having community is wonderful enough. And then what is the guru is actually, um, well, it says it in the sutras too. Let's see if I can remember this sutra here. I might have to look it up. Ishvara Prani Danadva Klesha Karma Vipakashaira Paramarishta Purusha Vishesha Ishvara Tatran Miratishayam Sarvagna Pijam Sa Purvesham Api Kuruhu Kale Nanapachetat. That really it's it's the aspect of having a conduit to source. So as soon as we try to personify someone is be, or deify someone, we get into trouble. But when we realize that the teachings are, and the teacher is a way of accessing source directly, there's going to be a greater balance. And we'll see this a lot in spiritual communities when the, when the, um, <clears throat> the center of that community or the guru of the community dies, um, there's a wobbling period. And hopefully the community holds the practices as a way of connecting to source and the sangata, the way of um, discussion, of healthy discussion where there's a balance of power, where there's a, you know, as Patanjali says, when two or more are gathered, there's samadhi because we have multiple 
perspectives. So when there's that kind of a community, um, the teachings will remain at the center and the teachings aren't rigid because they have to be practical and apply to what's needed. They have to be viable as far as our psychology. They're, they can't be rigid. And that's part of that oral tradition. So then they'll just be kind of like a resettling of the community. But as we can see historically, oftentimes someone wants that power. And um, yeah, just Google that and see what comes up. <laughs> it was yeah. like when, when um, AC Bhaktivandanta Prabhupada, so he came over from India. I think he had like three rupees in his pocket. And in the, um, in the yogic tradition, they were taught not to cross water and who knows why, but if you died a death on water, the belief was that you could not take Maha Samadhi. You could not have, um, you know, spiritual release from this lifetime. So he basically risked his own, his own salvation to come across the water and just started chanting in the park in New York City and people started becoming interested and it became ISHKON, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. And then when he died, I think he left like four um, swamis to lead the, the community. And within a few years, one had been murdered, one had been beheaded. I mean, it's really, you know, it's, it's um, who, who really knows the inside stories, but Netflix is like full of these stories and the, the, um, the distortions that can take place. Yeah. Oh, I like what you said. It's the age of the student. I mean, I've heard you say this many times that when the student is ready, the, the guide will appear. And it's for me, for me, that answers the question <laughs> because it really is, you know, it's not about out there finding someone or something out there. It's about in here. And then when, when I'm ready as a student, you know, I will be led. So, and I've, I've found that in my life to be true. And that's what I love so much about like the, the sutra, you know, because the sutra are these, they're the original DNA strands of yoga. It's like all the wonderful wisdom that we've heard just whittled down to the, the core essence. And then when you come into a community, like I did with, you know, it's sitting, sitting with my teacher, Rama, who never professed to be a teacher. She was truly a student and a practitioner. And then just sharing the stories, this is when that samadhi happens, where we're just, it just like, it ties all the pieces together. Um, and, so for me, I feel like, I don't feel like, I know, I know from a deep place within me that it's the teachings, it's the teachings that are teaching me. And the teacher is just someone who is um, breathing prana into it, breathing their own soul, their own spirit, their own process, and validating the human experience. I mean, what is this need to find perfection? I think that's kind of circling back to your, 
to your statement. I forgot the word that you used this. What was it that you used about the acknowledgement or the certificate of participation or whatever? The participation award. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know, I think, yeah. And, and yoga for me runs in this vein that's, that's just outside, outside of, you know, the, the, even, you know, even these, these questions, (laughs) it's like the wanting to know, it's like the answer just, it just touches the outside of it. And for me, that's the vein of yoga. And I have to lean into that. And I love what it says in the sutras, right? About, um, look, you know, there's, there's, there's phases, you know, there's, there's a growing up process that happens. And initially we just need to get an ego that's healthy enough where it can stand on its own two legs. And it takes a long time to get your, it takes a whole lifetime to get your feet underneath you. We're, we're basically born fish, you know, we're, we're these aquatic kind of beings and, um, you know, the sense of samastitihi, of even standing, of being upright, of being, of upholding, of being able to feel your connection to the earth and your connection to the world and your connection to gravity, which some say gravity is God, um, that you're part of a bigger field. So there's that raising up. That's where we do need the mentor and we do need the teacher and someone who really cares, someone where the, the system isn't underpaying them, where they're so constrained in the red tape and the bureaucracy, which I see in the schooling, the education system. It's like, you know, they just suck the life force out of the the teachers. They're not supported. So we need that. And once the ego gets healthy enough, then we can let the ego go. And the ego comes into service to the soul and to the community and can hold space for the larger community. But what does Patanjali say about the ego? He says that Rigdarshana Shaktyor Yekatmatevasmita. The ego is thinking you are your thoughts, you are that you own what you know, and that you are the vehicles of knowing. That's what that is what creates the ego construct. So the ego gets built up by what it thinks it knows. So then as we get you know, as we become more seasoned and we have a sense of, yeah, I I know this and I have a foundation and we know it well, then the great adventure is to just be able to like throw it away and let it go and see that we actually live in a very illogical, magical, mysterious field that is alive and ready to respond to our own creativity. And that's, that's super exciting to me. So it takes some time, you know, it does take some time and there's a ripening process that happens. Um, Yeah, but there's a lot of neophytes out there, a lot of half-baked people and it's okay. 
but just own it. You know, I, I understand because it's like when you step into the role of teacher, you're stepping into something big. But you don't have to um, pretend to be that big. You can just be like, wow, isn't this big? And let that hold the space and let that be what, you know, where the transmission is coming from. Thank you for that. And I am, I sense that the how, you know, the how <laughs> to all of this is, is practice. <laughs> so talk to me about this word practice, because I know in my own life, it, it feels very elusive at times. And I've confused it for, for many years with, with merely an asana, the physical practice. And, and lately, like last week, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, recently I'm really getting this sense that practice is so much deeper and more internal. And how would you describe the word practice or a yoga practice? Um, you know, again, I... Um like I've just been weaving these sutras into my life so much because of the clarity that they provide in, you know, as Patanjali says, our biggest challenge is that we constantly miss the point. So when we go to the etymology of the word that he uses, um, he uses a, he uses a byasa, and then he has a whole pada or a whole chapter on sadhana. And so sadhana, you know, as a practitioner, that's a sadhaka. And um, sadhana means to go directly to the goal. And na means of the eternal cosmic vibration. And then he, he uses the word abhyasa, which literally means to check the downward pull. So how we... You know, the, 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 the point of yoga is to joyfully engage with the creative potential that's within all of us, that we can be a part of life's beauty making and to embody something never before seen, not to emulate our teacher or emulate, you know, or, or, you know, you can, you can buy your organic yoga clothes and your compostable yoga mat, you know, but what does that really mean? But that we, we can be in this wonderful flowering and expression of, of consciousness unfolding and folding back in on itself. So Pyasa is seeing where we've gotten into this patterning and the practice is one of making the effort of getting, of repatterning, of realigning, of reevaluating, and of being in that curious process. And I've been really opening up the um, Kaivalya Pada, which is the last chapter of the sutras. And it speaks so much about yoga as alchemy. And really that the process of yoga is um, one of being filled, of filling up the spaces. So if we're doing it and we're grasping, and it's such an interesting um, like enigma that it takes so much effort to let go, 
and it, you know, it's like, you're, you're, you're trying to be more of yourself. You're becoming more of yourself, which is a really a process of letting go. So it's just like wonderful to feel into that. And then, you know, you can't just have a Vyasa, as you know, you're a, you're a deep student of the sutras. That's like having one wing. You need two wings. So where a Vyasa is the external expression of the consistency, the dedication, the effort to the effort of steady reevaluation of sitting with yourself of, you know, what's really important. Who am I? How much am I reaching outside of myself? Then the internal aspect and expression is vairagya, which is being able to let go of the range the colors of the mind and the moods. Cause we wake up and one day we're in a great mood. One day we're in a terrible mood. You know, it's like, it's always shifting, but to see that, um, you know, we're the awareness behind it. I love what Mr. Iyengar says. So he says, Abhyasa is the ladder that you use to climb out of the rut. And then Vairagya is to kick the ladder away. So practice, you know, it's a really interesting thing. And I was like, oh my God, she's going to ask me about my personal practice. And, you know, it was almost like there was a little bit of dread behind it um, because it's fluctuated so much over time. And sometimes it was for bigger choices, like wanting to get pregnant. And I was very, very um thin and sinewy and muscly and bendy from the Shtanga Vinyasa practice. And I had to let go of postures. You know, there were certain postures I was doing that Krishnamacharya would prescribe as birth control, which was radical at the time, because of course the blessing for a young bride was, may you be the mother of a thousand sons, you know? So here he was, you know, recognizing that, that, women also needed to have control over their own bodies because of how it, the ripple effect that happened economically, psychologically, emotionally in a family. Um, so yeah, I mean, there were things I had to let go of, I had to put on weight, you know, it was such a big part of my identity. And that was a huge practice for me, letting go. And so my practice has shifted a lot over the years. And as I was looking at it, kind of like standing back, I feel like a big part of the practice is that we always want more, which is a good thing. Always leave yourself wanting more. But then there's like an undertone behind it of feeling, I should be doing more. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, I could be doing more. I should be doing more yoga sutra study or I should be doing more asana or I should be doing more inversions or more pranayama, you know? So that's, um, that that feels, I I, I now, I, like I'm, I'm in a confessional <laughs> <laughs> and they say, when you say something out loud, it doesn't have the same power over you. But yeah, you know, um, and the beauty is, is, there's also that commitment to the steadiness of practice where, yeah, it may, it's going to shift and fluctuate, but 
that you're in it for a lifetime. And what comes to mind is it's supposed to, right? It's supposed to fluctuate. Yeah. You know, I mean, listen, it depends on who you're talking to. I'm talking to you. A lot of yeah. people, they're, um, they're still maybe on the fence. You know, they're kind of like weekend warriors and yeah. whatnot. Um, so... like there's when I came to yoga I knew that this was a lifetime commitment I knew there was no turning back and um you know sure there was a honeymoon phase and whatnot but I see a lot of people they um you know, they come in hot, they come in strong, and then they dump it. You know, it's like we've all heard those those uh, teachings where it's like, you know, the kindling that burns up really quick. And then there's the wet kindling that really never catches fire and it's all smoke. So our ability to stoke the fire slowly. And sometimes it's just a little ember that we're carrying with us but it's something that we're really protective of and it's an awareness um, and it'll be shifting in that in a, in a different way, but it's a muscle, you know, and honestly, you know, if we're really paying attention, we're going to see what happens when we don't have a practice and the suffering that comes from that, the lack of clarity, because we're, we're having to like project our issues so much more into the world. And so they say that practice is the himsa we commit on ourselves, which is, oh, you have to take this into context, but himsa means the harming. Why is it harming? Because you don't get to sleep as long or you don't get to, um, you know, you don't have as much time. Like there's some sacrifice involved. You have to sit with yourself and sit with your own you know, desires and your own frustrations, um, you know, so that there, there is some discomfort involved. But when we don't take the time to do that with ourselves, then it plays out into the world and it just becomes so much more complex. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it does cost something, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, offer Donna you have to you have to give some kind of an offering what's Donna Donna is um is is the offering basically so Donna is like what you would um you know it's like the 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 offering that you make your teacher mm. So back in the day, you know, the country doctor, maybe you couldn't pay, but you would give some eggs or you would give some cheese or you might, you know, help clean with the house. You know, it's some kind of an exchange to help support the teacher who's helping to support you. It's not like yoga is today where it's like people are ordering a burrito and they're expecting some kind of a service and they're expecting, they have a certain expectation of how it should taste and um, you're, you're dishing it out. But it was really an exchange of energy um, that supported. 
less in the customer satisfaction business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced that. It's like the expectations, you know, that, that, that come in and, and that's fine, but just, I'm not that person, you know, I'm not that person right now. I'm sharing what's interesting to me. And then when I look in the room and I see what's going on, um, you know, it's like the, it's such an interesting dance as a teacher. It's like being able to give the students what they need, not necessarily what they want, but also um, hopefully doing it in a way in which they feel nourished and, and you're, you're piquing their interest. Yeah, I mean, because people come in with their their psychological filters, their you know their whole lineage, their background, and and they hear these things. So I'm really getting. I mean, it's it's nuanced. You know, it's it's like you know, if you don't have a practice, if you don't begin, and you know, and it's like at least a decade in. You know, like we're not just like you know, uh, done, doing it for a couple months, like one has to really cultivate some time in before they can, before one can let it go. I mean, I've, I feel that and, and working with that because I know for myself, I was like, I, I haven't in this expectation, like it, this, the practice should look a certain way. And then I use all these excuses <laughs> to say, well, it's okay that it doesn't look that way you know, and that's one thing, or it can be, you know, like you were saying, the practice of letting go. Okay. There's a different life phase coming on. I have to work at the, I have to work at it, this other, in another approach. And this, you know, this takes a long time, but, um, initially, and was, what was it that um, Lou Ellen Bond said? It takes 20 years, you know, it takes 20 years before your practice really lands for you. And it starts to um, happen in your relationships. So there is a, there's a strong commitment phobia and there's this sense of like, you know, well, well, it should be easy. <clears throat> and if it's hard, I don't want to do it. Or if it's hard, I'll do it once and then I've done it and it's over. But yeah, we need that consistency. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, look at you, you go to kindergarten and then I guess you can, you can drop out around sophomore year, but there's a significant amount of time where you need to be held within a community and you need to be raised. And there seem, seems to be a lot of fear around that. And also this sense of, you know, this word, this very, which is not a bad thing, but this individuation thing, which yoga tells us, you know, yoga is the process of self-individuation, but there, there's a real gift about being held. It's like, you know, you want to be individuated, but do you want to be individuated at eight months old? No, you're not ready to do that. So having having the container, having the cocoon is a wonderful thing. And let me tell you, and then your teachers will die. <laughs> and then you'll be longing for them. Why didn't I spend more time? You know, and again, I just, you know, it's so lovely in the, in the, in the sutras, in the sadhana pada, on the chapter on practice, 
What's the first word? Tapas. Tapas. And tapas is often um, described as like the discipline. You know, it's the austerity. And if we look up the word austerity, austerity is just being clear on what you need. It's not having the frivolities, but tapas is a fire and it's an aching desire. So that longing is a wonderful thing and learning how to use that longing in a disciplined way. What's the root of discipline? Disciple. That's being the student in which we learn it, you know, in which we're held in that container. Can you hear my dog barking? Yeah. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's very sweet. <laughs> Talk about Guru Chela. You know, we yeah. have our Zito, who's the older dog and this baby. And um, it's really quite amazing to see because I don't think, you know, he didn't choose to be the teacher and he was always the baby, but we brought the baby in and he just stepped into it. And a lot of it is he shutting her down. Wow. All the time. You know, it's like this little Pomeranian and they need socialization. So she's biting his tail and he just like puts her down on the ground, opens his mouth and puts it on the back of her neck and she goes flat. Wow. Goes flat. And it's like this beautiful dance of love, honestly. Um, Way to step up, Zito. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, we need people who are going to lift us up and just be like, whoa, slow down. You know, when we look at yoga, it's like the reins. Yoga means to yoke. So someone's got to teach us how to use those reins. And we have to know how to be reined in. Um, It's not such a terrible thing. It's kind of a beautiful thing. I mean, how much, like how much of the time we're just like, just tell me what to do. You know, we want somebody to tell us what to do. um, But then we don't, you know? Yeah. It's almost (laughs) like, I just want someone to fight with me. (laughs) Just tell me what to do so I can say no. Yeah. And I just loved, you know, that whole process where it's like my teachers always raised the bar for me. And, you know, I had different, I have really, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I mean, I, the, the, the Lagunas, the, the, um, the prakriti of each of the teachers was kind of very different, but, you know, I had one who would just like feed me fire and crack the whip and I love that. And then one who is more, you know, like my, you know, would, would take me more into the sattvic phase. But each one of them, you know, it's about like, what is, what is practice? Initially, it's something that you're developing. And by the way, going to class is not the same as having a practice, right? You go to class to learn through the teacher's lens And then it's our work to take it home so that we can become familiar and develop deep in our own inquiry and our own process of discovery. Yeah. Where was I going with this? Hang on a second. Can you prompt me? (laughs) Practice. And we don't go to class. Oh, yeah, yeah. Going. 
So practice is where is where we're, you know, developing that on our own. There was something else I was going to say, but I'm having a senior moment. That's okay. I want to ask you, you talk about yoga. There's, I mean, there's the elements, but you talk about it often as being both an art and a science. And if you remember what you were going to say, we can come back to that. And I'm, this has always really interested me because I, I sense, I sense that (laughs) because, you know, at some, at, at some point you, you get, you know, the, the metaphysicist and the, you know, and, or the, you know, the divinity student and the, the um, scientist and they start talking, you know, and at some point they get to this place where they both agree in this space of, you know, the unknown of magic of, you know, of metaphysics and, and um, yeah, but I'm curious if you want to say more about yoga being both the art and the science. Nimitam prayojakam prakritnam varnabeda So this is from the fourth pada. And I remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> Good. So it's all part of this. Um, you know, practice is what we do to get out of the inertia. That's where practice becomes puja. So first we learn, um, you know, we were, we go to a, a class, we learn, we learn the techniques. It's a science because it has been, um, it has been explored, it has been experimented, it has been verified. There's a logical aspect to it. And really yoga is an alchemy. So it's it's very much grounded in many trials, many, um, many situations. So we can see that like these things do, and now there's all kinds of wonderful um, you know, more modern science-based research that um, that corroborates this information, like that book Breath. It's fantastic, but it's it's really it's just kind of showing the science behind the whole yogic techniques. You know, the exhale is more important than the inhale. We can see it. We can even quantify it with blood tests and EEGs and EKGs, etc. Now that sutra that I just chanted um, speaks about how yoga is varana beda. So if we do these, if we do these practices, or we go into these practices, what it does is it starts peeling back the varana, which are the veils, to reveal the, the nature of prakriti which is a creative force. So we use the science, we become really adept in the science, and then the creativity and the art starts coming through. So I am, you know, one of the things that I loved with studying, you know, under Baba Haridas was we were given the four purifications, the four kriyas. And you do them systematically. And yet every time you're doing them, and it's very interesting because 
you know, we'll be like, am I doing it correctly? Am I doing it correctly? And the years roll by and then you kind of like go, oh, wow, I'm really obsessing over this. Have I even felt the practice? Has it even penetrated me? And a veil begins to fall. And then you start to, and there, there's a sutra for it, of course, because the sutra map out this process so we don't get stuck anywhere. We don't get stuck in the science, which is like just one half of the story, the logical. This is why actually postures are taught on the right side first, because it works the left brain hemisphere. Just tell me how to do it. It's the part of us that's a good soldier. I just want to follow directions. And that's good. You need to know how to add the yeast and how to add the, you know, the leavening product, the, the sweetness, the sugar in order to get the dough to rise. You need that. But then you can start to play around with the recipe. So we, we're doing it so right and we're trying to be so good. And then we get the signs down. And then there's like this realization, like, what does this feel like? And Patanjali says, Then eventually there's the fourth type of pranayama where you stop fixating on the length of your inhale, the length of your exhale, the pauses in between. And there's a complete psychological shift. There's a shift which means that you like... Like you've used, you've maximized the ego, which wants to do it right, which wants to know it, which wants to get it. And there's like a dissolution of these veils that happens and you step into this dynamic field, um, which really we can only experience it to know it. I'm sure we've all had those satoris where something just opens up Um and it's really interesting, like, it's wonderful because you can always come back to the foundation of like, okay, I'm going to inhale through my left nostril, exhale through my right, I'm going to go to this practice. But then all of a sudden, the, um, you know, as Venkatesh Ananda says, the practice just slips through your fingers and you're in this wonderful field of, of being filled of being filled up. And so in these in these sutras here in the fourth in the fourth pada it speaks about how everything did I talk about this last week about how everything has kind of um um inherent potential. Mm. So if I didn't talk about this last week cuz it's I don't been, think so. been in my studies, okay. Um so if you were to take sugar and you were to add a particular um, solvent to it, you could transform it into glucose and sucrose. If you were to add hydrochloric acid to it, you could transform it into pure carbon. So within everything in nature, there are certain potentialities depending on context and depending on how you work with the substance, but you're never going to be able to turn sugar into mercury. So there's certain things, and this is like the art. This is the art is like, we're using these yogic practices with consciousness 
to kind of like see, it's almost like chipping away at a geode to see what kind, you know, what kind of gem is inside. And that's really the art of discovery. But we got to put the time in, you know, and there's, there's so, now they say whatever it is, 100,000 hours. Mihail Csikszentmihalyi said it's an average of 10 years. Like you got to do the work, you know, you're a dancer. You got to put in the time to train the nervous system, to train the musculature, to uh, understand the nuances of the art form. The science, you got to do it like, oh my God, the tediousness of doing scales and arpeggios and working with those things. And then finally, when you've got that, when you're, when you've trained yourself through that discipline, then it said true creativity comes through you. And it's like the ego gets strong enough. And this is described as being in a state of flow where you, you just don't have enough bandwidth to worry about if you're doing it right. Because fortunately you've done it enough where it's, it's become like second nature. And then, um, you know, the artist describes it as, as being, being a vehicle for the creativity to flow through us. The dancer becomes one with the music, the surfer becomes one with the wave, the yogi, realizes that like the entire multiverse is breathing through them. And, you know, when we let's go, let's circle back to the tradition of yoga. Um, you know, it said that these, these rishis and these rishikas, they were in this state of ecstasy where they were being spontaneously moved. And you look at little children, it's quite fascinating they're going through the postures in their developmental phase. So it's encoded within us. And we're coming back to that. So the teachings are kind of like helping us. It's like that long road we spoke of in our last session of coming back to ourselves. And we're, we're, we're just going back, but we, we kind of need a teacher. We need to learn how to learn remember how to learn that's great thank you so much more to come more to come <laughs> thank you for listening i hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself if you enjoyed this episode please tell a friend for more information about bhavani maki and her online and in-person teachings including the yoga sutra wisdom school online Patanjali Yoga Sutra mentorship, and her continuing classes and trainings, please visit www.bhavanimaki.com. That's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique, true spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm.
Shabbat